Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went to a day's journey. But when they were, but when, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his, and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And, went, and he went down with, him, with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Good morning, everyone. Uh, just a welcome back to the Emory students who are here in force again. Um, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It's a day that we remember the civic rights movements. Uh, it's a day that we remember, even here, being able to gather as God's people. Um, that race and ethnicity um, is a huge part of, of what the church wrestles with. Yes, we understand that the gospel and the gospel alone saves, and that is important. We say that the gospel and the gospel alone is the most important thing, and we agree upon that. But we, what we often forget is that the gospel itself permeates every aspect of life. And so when we look at brothers and sisters, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of gender, regardless of what else, whatever else we may identify with. We're all made in God's image. And there are good things that God has given to us in our cultures, and there are things that still need to be redeemed. But either way, we love one another, and we must continue to seek to love one another deeply. And there's an analogy I, I've given to people to, to help understand this even more. What if I told you that someone from New England came down, a Patriots fan? Now, I know no one likes here, no one here likes the Patriots, maybe a couple of people, right? And they came down here, and their whole garb was simply Patriots gear every day. And they said to you, love Jesus. Sorry about your Falcons, but love Jesus. Jesus is all you need. Jesus is here to save you. Jesus loves you but my patriots are really great and your falcons are really bad. What kind of disservice does that do to the gospel? It does a huge disservice. And oftentimes that patriot fan doesn't know what he's doing. So too, we oftentimes say to one another, all you need to do is love Jesus. But we've got to 
be aware that we carry a culture with us. And be aware that sometimes that culture often says, my culture's the best. MLK, one of the reasons the civic rights movement occurred and one of the reasons that we as a church must sort of take hold of it is for us to understand that as well. Your culture is wonderful that God has given you, but be aware of your culture. That's all, that's all we're saying. Be humble about what God has given you. Now imagine that Patriot fan came down, still has Patriot jersey on, but would put on an Atlanta Falcon helmet. At first you'd be like, this guy's kind of crazy. <laughs> but if he did it with genuine love for the gospel, you would start to see that they were trying to fit in, to show love, to show care to the people around them. So tomorrow, MLK, some of you guys will be just taking the day off, things like that. Wonderful, enjoy what God has given you. Uh, but do remember the plight of all of our brothers and sisters. Do remember that even here at this church, being predominantly Asian-American, be aware of who we are and to just love all people at all times. And I will do my best as a Philadelphia fan to root for the Falcons. I will try. I will try. I will do my best. If someone buys me a Falcons jersey, I will wear it. No, I don't want a jersey. Just a t-shirt will be fine. Okay. So in our sermon today, in our message today, we see Jesus growing up. He's 12 years old. This is probably the only, this is the only passage we have in Scripture where we see Jesus at such a young age in a story about him. And it's a very endearing story just to hear and listen to this little boy who had gone up with his parents at the age of 12 for the Feast of Passover. They go to, to make the customary sacrifices. They go to remember the, the greatest moment of all of Judean history. The day that Moses led him out of captivity in Egypt. The day they crossed the Red Sea. The day that the enemy was washed away when the, when the, when the waves crashed over them. The moment when God gave them the Ten Commandments and said, I am your God, you are my children, you are my people. And from this day forward, I have made my covenant with you. I will be your God until the very end. This was the most momentous occasion of all of Jewish history. And they came to celebrate. They came to remember. This is bigger than the 4th of July. This is the time when people out of slavery once again was reborn and rebirthed into a nation called the nation of Israel. And so you can imagine the festivities there. Everyone has gone up to enjoy. Everyone has gone up to bring their sacrifices. Everyone has gone up to celebrate what God has done in the past. But remember from last week's message, as sacrifices continue to go, to go up to the Lord, they're still waiting, right? 
they're still waiting for God to answer. They keep sending up, if I can put it this way, smoke signals to heaven. But they're still waiting for God to answer. And so it's a celebration. But it's a time of waiting. Will God speak again? So after the festivities, they return home. And you can imagine the masses of people all returning home, all taking the same roads home. When I think about this, I, I think about Korea for some reason. I think about in Korea when they have uh, the, 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 fall, the fall festival and they all go to their countryside and they visit their parents and it takes forever to get back out there. The, 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 the roads are just packed. The roads are just filled. Or in Japan, there's something called the, the Golden Week um, um, uh, vacation and everyone just goes to their countryside as well to, to go on vacation and, and the roads are just packed. And you can imagine they're returning back after these festivities and the parents are just thinking like, okay, Jesus is somewhere in the midst of us. We came as a clan together. I'm sure that he's with his friends, his cousins, just, just people about us. It's, it's not a big deal. And after a day, they realized he's missing. He's missing. And the parents become frantic and they, and they go back and they eventually do find Jesus. And like any good parent, they're just annoyed at him. Jesus, where, where were you? <laughs> Don't you know mom and dad, we were worried about you. And then something profound happens. A profound observation of who this Jesus person might be. He was found in the temple. He was found where the priests were. He was found where the, the teachers were. He was found where the center of all of religious activity for the Jewish people were. And he was conversing with all of them. And all of them were amazed at Jesus' understanding and Jesus' answers. To what? Most likely to the Torah. Most likely to, to the story of the Exodus. Most likely the story of the Passover and what God had done to save people and most likely talking about what will God do in the future to save his people. Because that is what everyone was talking about. And then as parents approached him, Jesus says very curtly, did you not know that I must be in my father's house. And in that short sentence, he stunned his parents. And I would say he probably stunned 
anyone who is listening. Who is this boy who calls upon God as his father? Who is this boy who speaks in such a way that it seems that he has an intimacy with the Father in heaven? Now let me sort of make a little aside here before we go on to the main um, section of this passage. You're Joseph and you're Mary. How do you not know this? Right? You're Joseph and you're Mary. How do you not know this? Mary, your, your child is a miracle child. Your husband did not lay with you. This child is from the Holy Spirit. How do you not know? Jesus, when he was born, the angels came down and announced it. Shepherds came to worship him. People from the east came to to bear gifts to him. He was to be the one who, who brought the good news to all people. Mary and Joseph heard all of this already. This is the beauty of reading reading the Bible as a narrative, is it not? They, they knew all of this. And yet there's still humanity about Joseph and Mary. Mary sang about this, yet there's still a humanity about them. And I liken this to the way that we see how the disciples are portrayed in the Gospels as well. If you read and you see how the disciples are portrayed as Gospels, they're portrayed as fools, if I can put it that way. As people who just didn't get who Jesus was. No matter how many times Jesus showed them miracles, they just didn't get it. No matter how many times Jesus told them the truth, they still didn't get it. And here's Mary and Joseph. And for some reason, they still did not yet understand fully what it meant. And this type of, of sort of ignorance, if I can put it this way, is found all over Scripture. And it unveils, if I can, if you allow, it, it unveils sort of the condition of the heart. It unveils sort of our own weakness. It, it unveils our own full heart, full heart, foolishness in many ways. Because no matter, even here in this audience, how much we know about the gospel, Jesus died for me. How much we know of the gospel, that the Holy Spirit lives in me. No matter how much he commands us to, to live a life according to, to his laws and, and to know that one day he'll come to redeem us again. We, we still live as if the gospel is an afterthought. There's a foolishness to all of us, even to Mary and Joseph. And yet the beautiful thing here is how much God still loves us. 
For the grace that we have received is not, is not a grace according to our wisdom. It's a grace in the midst of our foolishness. And so when I read this, I'm like laughing at Mary. I'm laughing at Joseph. It says later on that Mary hid these things in, his, in her heart. And I'm sure looking back, she's laughing as well. No regrets, just laughter because what Jesus came to fulfill, he did fulfill. And for us as God's people, it's that same type of laughter over the foolishness of not following or trusting in God. That's the message of what it means to be saved by him. I want to encourage you to remember that. Even in this passage today, you, you see how much Jesus still loves his parents. It says later on, it says he was still submissive to them in verse 51. Jesus, even knowing the foolishness of their, his mom and dad, what they just said, still submitted to them. Still loved his parents and still loved his father in heaven. And so that's the aside. Be gentle on yourself. Be gentle on other people. Know that we're all fools. Know that we have more wisdom and more knowledge about God than any other generation in all of history. When I was your age, I had to carry my Bible in my back pocket. You have it on your phone. I don't know if that's a plus or a minus, but it's just, it's just, just an expression. But let's return to this passage a little bit more in depth. The question is this. Who is this Jesus that the gospel writer Luke is trying to portray? Who is this person in Jesus that we here claim that we worship? And the question is a live question right now in this narrative. Is he more than just the son of Mary and Joseph? Is he more than just another human being? He says he's the son of the living God. What, what does that mean that he, he claims the father in heaven as his very own? He seems like he's very human still. He's very submissive to Joseph and Mary. He seems very human in the sense that he, he grows up still in wisdom and stature. But the question is still real to us. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Who is Jesus Christ as portrayed in the Gospels? Well, so far in this passage, we have two options. First, he's a, the or three options, sorry. First, he's a theologian. He's someone who came to the temple, was able to converse at a very young age about the things that were happening at that time. Like I said, most likely talking about the, the Passover, the Exodus. Most likely talking about when will God speak again? When will he send another prophet? When will the Messiah come? And he talked very, talked very learnedly about it. 
And I'm sure that the priests and the teachers who were there reveled in that knowledge, reveled in, in those types of discussions. We as God's people have to be careful that Jesus is simply more, it's not simply a theologian, but it's more than a theologian. That Jesus is something more than simply who gives us truths or axioms to live by. Truths or axioms to, to figure out life. You know, we are a PCA church, and oftentimes we will say in the PCA church that we believe in Reformed theology, and that's great. And we often say that we are here to preach and teach the gospel to all people, and that's great and that's wonderful but there is a danger to that for ourselves that if we simply read scripture to simply read theology if we say that we know the gospel simply to 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 talk about another christian philosophy to throw out there and i know that when we think that jesus is only a theologian when i ask this one question and listen to this question i'm not going to ask you do you know, are you reformed? I'm not going to ask you, do you know the gospel? I'm going to ask you, do you know Jesus? And all of a sudden things shift. Our faith is not as more than a set of ideas. Our faith is more than an apologetic our faith is more than just a discussion. Our faith is about a person who claims to be the man, a son of God, the savior of those who believe in him, to those who know him. Do you know Jesus? Or do you just talk about him? Are your prayers filled with talking with Jesus? When you read scripture, do you hear Jesus speaking to you? We are more than theologians, brothers and sisters. Jesus is more than just a teacher to you and to me. The second option that we see here in this passage is, is he's simply a family member. Simply the son of Joseph and Mary. There's his brothers, there's his cousins, there's other people in his, in his clan. And oftentimes we treat Jesus. When I ask you, do you know Jesus? And all of a sudden the answer is, yeah, Jesus is my bro. Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is the, the guy who I walk around with. Jesus is my pal, man. You know, Jesus, he's my, I can't think of anything else to say. But, you know, <laughs> Jesus is, is, is the one that I walk with all the time. And yes, Jesus is a friend. Yes, Jesus is our brother in Christ. But Jesus isn't simply just a brother who listens to us, hangs out with us, sympathizes with us. Because if Jesus is simply that guy that you hang out with, pretty soon you'll lose interest in hanging out with a guy like that. 
because we are people who are not only meant for fellowship, but we are people who are meant to find truth, to find meaning. And there's only so much a nice pat on the back can do for you. Jesus has to be more than that. And Jesus, this is why Jesus claims that he is the son of God. That he is like us, but he is different from us. He is like us in that he was born. He is like us in that he had to grow in wisdom and stature. He is like us in that he chose to obey his, his mother and his father. But he is unlike us in that the way that he was born, he was born without sin. That he was born outside of the line of Adam. Because when God came down upon Mary and she gave birth to Jesus, God said, we're going to start a new lineage, lineage, a new genealogy. This genealogy is about the sons of God and it's going to start with Jesus. He's going to break the curse once and for all. And the only way that, he could, that God could do that is just if his very own son came down from heaven and did so. And that is who he is. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is the one who was there from the beginning of time through whom all the world was created. It is through him even today that everything that you see still holds together. And it's him that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. It is he who will reign forever and ever. Jesus is no simple teacher. Jesus is not your homeboy alone. Jesus is God to be worshipped to be feared to be loved Jesus is the one who will one day return with all power Jesus is the one who has answered all the questions of evil, questions of sin, questions of meaning, questions of life. And it's because he's done all of these things that makes him such a great teacher to us. Because as the Son of God, what he teaches, he teaches us true. This is why he makes us such great brother to us because he has gone through all the temptations and yet without sin. He's the one who's forgiven us. He's the one who continues to walk with us. And he walks with us with power, not simply an empty pat on the back. But if we remove his divinity, if we remove his sonship to God from all of this, we remove the worship of Jesus from all of this, then him being a teacher, him being a brother is utterly meaningless. 
So our hearts must bow down to him and worship him. And in a sense, many of us here today have to be surprised again that Jesus is God. Many of us here have to be surprised again that he is to be worshipped. Many of us here again have to, get off, have to get off a first name basis with Jesus and have to call him my God, my Messiah, my Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 21. As the narrative continues about Jesus, and as Jesus sort of starts his ministry in his early 30s, we sort of revisit a story like this, but this time it's not in a temple, it's in a synagogue. But same sort of atmosphere. He's, he's there with the teachers. Now something special happens. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. this is not some ordinary man or teacher. I wish I was there. Because my jaw would have dropped too. Who is this man who claims to be the fulfillment of the Messiah? Is he the Messiah? the gall of him to say that. And yet if it's true, then everything changes. Brothers and sisters, we know this is true. And everything has changed. I implore you, for those of you who know Christ, go back to know him as the God Go back and know him as the Savior. Go back and know him as Lord. Be in awe and worship him. Before you go with your troubles, before you go confessing your sins, go to him, see him as God, just worship him. For those of you who are still searching for God and perhaps you grew up in the Christian church and, and you've, you know sort of who Jesus is and you like his teachings. You like the fact that Jesus seems like a cool dude and you know, says a lot of great things. I challenge you. I, I know that you know that it can't be enough. 
It can't be enough just that he's a cool dude. It can't be enough that he says some good things. It can't be enough. Lots of people say good things. Lots of people are cool. But Jesus proclaims something bigger. I am the son of God. I've come to rescue sinners. I died for you. I will return in glory. Join me. Love me as I have loved you. Then my teachings will make even, give you greater peace and greater wisdom. Then my friendship will give you greater peace. Because I am the Son of God. Gospel of Luke. Let's continue to read. And next week we'll continue to to forge forward on. I can't go through every passage in Luke, so please read before you come. Read on your own. Just just read Luke. Be surprised how this, this writer weaves the story together. And let the Jesus that he presents, that God presents, meet you. For this God loves you. And this God has done great things to bring salvation to those who believe. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy. We ask of you, Lord, to reveal to us once again your divinity more so than your humanity. Reveal to us again, Lord, that you are not here, Lord, to be our therapist. You are not here, Lord, so that we can have this great life, but you are here to be worshipped, Lord God. And in our worship to you, Lord, whatever you may give, whatever lot we have in this life, Lord God, we know that we will have a teacher who will teach us true things that give us wisdom. And that we know that we have a true friend, Lord, that will give us peace and give us a steadfastness. And so, Lord God, we ask of you to do so for the sake of your people and for your own glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.